Good news! Due to popular demand, Rabbi Friedman has created a new weekly podcast, in which he delivers a lesson on the weekly Torah reading. In them, the rabbi teaches us what we can learn and apply to our daily lives, and what the ancient words of the Torah mean to modern times. Hear new insights on the Bible, like you've never heard before. Listen to Bible studies like never before on your favorite podcast platform. You're you're onto something here, something awesome. Let me let me put it in in, in personal context. I'll talk about myself, but you'll get the idea. I need to eat. I need to sleep. I need friends and support. I need a job. I need money. I need something to do. I need. I need. I need. It just goes on and on and on. It turns out that this is depressing. The fact that I need to eat is depressing. It's called existential angst. I don't want to need to eat. I hate it. It's a handicap. I didn't ask for it. And there's nothing I can do about it. I've tried going without food for more than an hour. And I can't. I try going without sleep, and I can't. Came to the conclusion that the need to eat is not mine. I don't need to eat. I just can't help it. I didn't ask for it. I didn't do this to myself. God created me dependent on food. And I don't know why. Because it's a nasty thing. I actually was talking to a woman who was anorexic. Wow. And she had been to therapy. She was not in danger anymore. But she calls up and she says, I still, I, I still think eating is disgusting. I said, it is. And I said, everything that the Mishnah says about if you, if you eat more, the worms will have more to eat when you die. You know, just like eating is animalistic, it's grubby, it's disgusting, it's she says, you're worse than me. I'm just telling you the truth. It's so humiliating. What is it that we eat? The same thing the rabbit eats. In fact, if I don't have a scarecrow, the rabbit is going to take away my food. I'm competing with a rabbit. It's humiliating. Why did God do this to me? I don't know. So all I can do is swallow my pride. No pun intended. I swallow my pride and I eat something. Our problem was gone. Wow. Mostly because I agreed with her. Everybody disagrees and it doesn't help. I don't need to eat. I really don't. In fact, if we didn't eat, we would live forever. Mm. But because we eat, we die. Because no food is completely healthy. I don't need to sleep. I really don't. A human being spend half your life sleeping? It's crazy. 
So if I designed myself, I would not need to sleep, and I would not need to eat, and I would not need to drink. So I need to eat? No. Whoever designed me needs me to eat. I can't claim it as mine. This is the future of psychology. You don't have deep, unresolved needs. You need nothing. Knock it off. You need nothing. Well, then what am I doing here? Oh, you are needed. Your eating is needed. It's not your need. So when we get this hang-up, but I must have, I must, I need. No, no, no. Even if you can't do without, it's not your need. And the best example for it is, this kid goes off to yeshiva. Teenager. Overseas. He arrives at the yeshiva, and he goes into the dean, who was a deep Hasidic thinker, and he says to the dean, I need to call my mother. Which phone can I use? The dean said to him, I need... And he repeated it a few times. The kid said, yeah, I need to call my mother. I need... He got the message, and he said to the dean, my mother needs me to call her. Which phone can I use? And the dean said, good, lesson number one. You've become a mensch. It's not true that a teenage boy needs to call his mother. It's very true that his mother needs him to call. It's not true that I need to eat. It's very true that God needs me to eat. It's not true that I need to be religious. It's not even true that I need to serve God. God needs me to serve him. When I say I need it, it's plagiarism. Why, why, why are you playing God? You don't need it. This is the future of psychology. When a person is depressed or oppressed or, or burdened by whatever it is, you go to the therapist, and the set therapist will help you realize you don't need it. But that doesn't leave you without a job because you are needed. Torah tells us this for free. God comes down to Mount Sinai and says, I created the world, blame me. It's not your problem, it's my problem. And I need you to keep Shabbos. You know why? Because that's what I'm doing on Shabbos. Stay with me. In the six days I create, you create too. On Shabbos I rest. Rest with me. Stay with me. Follow me. Do what I do so that we're on the same page. So who needs? And this is where religion has become its own worst enemy. You need to be good. I don't need to be good. 
Oh, you're going to go to hell. Okay, don't threaten me. <laughs> Explain it or, or be quiet. But threatening me, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah? Absolutely. People don't, get, don't react to threats. But, but you're going to die. So what's your point? I'm not going to live life in order not to die. It doesn't make any sense anymore. So tell me what's important. Don't threaten me. It's not going to work. So the religious grandfather says to the kid, you must go to the synagogue. He said, I must? No. Well, but you must keep, keep kosher. I must? No, I don't. And then it just becomes a nasty argument. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. I don't, I don't need to go to heaven, I don't need to be good, I don't need to be holy, I don't need to be enlightened, I don't need anything because I didn't ask to be born. Don't tell me I need. It's like taking me out to an expensive restaurant and then telling me to pay the bill. This was not my idea. How did I become responsible? See, that's going back to the purpose. Why am I here in the first place? Don't tell me how to get off the world. Tell me how I got on. How did I get into this mess? Did I ask for it? No. Did I sign some contract? No. Did I agree to all these responsibilities? No. So how am I responsible? Oh, because if you don't do it, you'll get punished. This is sick. Rabbi. I feel like at the end of the day, a lot of what I've learned and studied is that everything we're asked to do serves us. Every single kosher concept and mitzvot serves a medical health concept that, you know, that supports it. Um, even the needs in terms of eating, from what I understand, going back to the realm of the soul, there are souls in fruit, there are souls in animals, there are souls in even minerals. And when you say braha over it and you eat it, it helps that soul get released from that incarnation to the next. So you are deeply and intricately participating in the cycle of life and with these simple things that you're doing you are here to elevate every single action that you're participating in so in your very eating if you're eating correctly you are elevating the world the fruit the soul in that fruit if you are coming together with your husband which is something that the torah strongly suggests on Shabbat, you are creating souls, even if they are not souls that be, are being born into the world, they are souls that are being born in other realms. So every action that you do here is supported by a huge sort of cyclical thing that, that supports it in terms of whether it's your health, 
or your own personal evolution. Ultimately, we want to get to the point where what the rabbi is saying, where we are fully in service. We are not seeking our own personal growth. We're not seeking necessarily anything that serves us. We are in a place of healthy, egoless, you know, place of service that is serving our higher creator. But in the process, the the thing that for me is is so interesting is that in every stance and every step you're taking in service, whether it's washing of your hands in the morning or whether it is the shalom bayit of keeping peace in the home, every single one of these things is for your own personal evolution. Even keeping Shabbat is that the ultimate Shabbat state is the eternity of your soul. And every Shabbat is practiced for you to discipline your soul, to live in an eternity of Shabbats. Because on Shabbat, you're asked not to create. You're asked not to create, which means essentially doing nothing but existing and having relation with your loved ones. That is the eternity of your soul. So if you are creating on Shabbat and not practicing that discipline, can you imagine the, the torture that your soul is going to feel when it moves into a realm, when it can no longer impact anything, which is what happens when you move on? Only those you leave behind, if they have been trained, to pray on your behalf, to light candles on your behalf, to pray on your behalf, will they elevate your soul or create, move you out of stagnation? Otherwise, you're, you're there and you're suffering, which is what I call a Jewish version of hell, <laughs> right? So everything that you're asked to do, true, Hashem needs it. Of course, everything that the rabbi is saying but to me, the benevolence of Hashem is that every single one of the actions you're asked to do are not purely in service to relinquish ego, to grow, to become the best that you can be, which they are, and to serve your higher creator. But they are the thing that actually moves you through to the completion of learning the things you need to learn. See, that's all after the fact that God creates me, gives me all those needs so that I can serve him. He makes sure that in serving him, I will not lose or suffer. But if he doesn't need it, the whole thing disappears. I don't need to be all I can be. I don't need to fulfill my soul. I don't need anything until he puts me here. And then all of a sudden I have needs. <laughs> Good needs. Noble needs. But not mine. I don't need. That, that's one of the problems with, with Buddhism. I'm talking to this Buddhist guy. And he's telling me the marvels of it. What you can accomplish. And I said, but what if I say, no thanks. 
He says, yeah. I said, so I can just, if I say, I don't want to be enlightened, any harm in that? No. If I say, I don't want to serve God, any harm in that? Yes. God is devastated. That's, that's the part that we really need to reclaim. Because we've turned God into a feelingless, uncaring, invulnerable. Okay, let's, let's, let's get to that word. What's good about being vulnerable? Strength. What? How is vulnerability strength? Courage. The most courageous sense of connection is you cannot connect without vulnerability. Right. But doesn't that make you dependent? Needy? Weak? Crippled? No? This guy calls me, I gotta tell you this whole story. A guy calls me from a little town in Oregon. I never heard of this town. He says, I'm a retired psychiatrist. I was born Jewish. I've practiced Christianity for 30 years. I'm living in this town, there are no Jews here. I'm getting older. And I feel a need to connect to my people. What can I do here in this town to feel connected to my people? This is a study that's fascinating. I, of course, being a Chabad, I said, get a pair of tefillin. You'll put them on every morning. You'll feel wrapped up with your people. You'll feel tied, up, tied, you know, tied in. You'll feel connected to your people. He says, oh, no, I can't do that. Every time I try to do something Jewish, I've had a bad experience. <laughs> I didn't pursue that. Like, what, every time you ate something <laughs> kosher, you choke? I don't understand what that means. Every time I did something Jewish, I had a bad experience. <laughs> but instead, I said to him, you know, nobody is Jewish because it's been a good experience. <laughs> it's not about a good experience. Is that the truth? It's about God's need. God needs you to do certain things. You do it. He says, God needs? I never heard that before. And, oh, he also said, I, I won't tell you my name. What? Yeah. Because... Anyway, this guy is a real study, right? I mean, wow. it, every word that comes out of his mouth is a whole new wow. psychological drama. <laughs> he says, God, geez, I've never heard of that. And I'm, I'm losing patience. Mm -hmm. He wants advice. I give him advice. No, he can't do that. So I tell him something. No, he disagrees. This guy's got problems. <laughs> so I said to him, look, is God all-powerful and, and, and almighty? He says, yes. I said, God is perfect in every way? I said, yes. 
He knows everything? Yes. He is all-powerful? He can do anything? Yes. I said then, that he must also be infinitely vulnerable. He starts to laugh. God is vulnerable? God is almighty. So being this retired psychiatrist, I said to him, Doctor, are you suggesting that being vulnerable is a weakness? He got completely flustered, wow. and he hung up the phone. Thank you. I thought that was weird. <laughs> a few days later, he calls back. He says, hi, I'm calling from a little town in Oregon. I don't want to give you my name. <laughs> Where do I get through? <laughs> so I figure, okay, I'm going to give him a hard time. I said, why all of a sudden? This is really amazing. He says, because my profession... Uh, doesn't doesn't allow me to accept the Christian message. I said, after 30 years? He says, let me explain this to you. In our profession, we know that if a man says to a woman, for example, I love you very, very much, more than anything in the world. Oh, you're not interested? You're lost. In other words, he's not vulnerable. If he feels that way, then his claim of love is false. He does not love her. It's not love, it's manipulation. Mm. Wow. The message in Christianity is God loves you very, very much. Oh, you're not interested? <laughs> Go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> Forever. Literally. 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 Yeah. yeah. In other words, no loss for him, no. then he does not love you. So what does vulnerability mean? It's a godly trait. God is vulnerable, and we try to mimic him. It has nothing to do with weakness, with getting hurt, with, with being damaged or crippled. Vulnerable means... If I care about you, it's because I need you. There's nothing more vulnerable than that. And what do I need you for? For you. Just to have you, because me by myself is not enough. So everything God asks us to do, we don't need to do. Stop a guy in the street and I say, come, you want to put on film? He says, I don't need that. I say, great, come, let's put him on. <laughs> if you need it, I'm sure you'll take care of it yourself. You don't need my help. But you don't need it. So you might not do it. So here's the film. Do this because God needs it. We need to become better at things we don't need. Like being good for nothing. Mm. But we have to be convinced that God is infinitely vulnerable. 
not less vulnerable than us, because if, if vulnerability is a strength, well, we're not stronger than him. So if we have the strength of vulnerability, he has it infinitely. So we're serving God literally. Like some guy says to me, I would not serve God if he weren't perfect. I said, wait a minute, if he's perfect, then you can't serve him. Because <laughs> wow. he doesn't need you. Right. When we say serve God, we mean do for him something he needs infinitely. It's scary. It's like foreign. You... It's foreign. Yes. It's foreign for an egocentric human. But that's going back to when I find out that my mother needs me, that's scary. Yeah. Because yeah. I need her for a couple of bucks, you know, and <laughs> to be in the will. <laughs> but, but she needs me? No. That's scary. Because she's old and mature. <laughs> Why would she need me? So it's the biggest compliment in the world, like the little girl who uh, thinks God is angry at her. Yes, God is angry at you, because he's vulnerable. If you don't keep Shabbos with him, he's like a religious guy whose family doesn't want to join him. So we're turning the world upside down. Free choice consists of making the decision. You can either be needy or needed. That's the difference between secular and spiritual, between mundane and holy. Everything needy is human and finite and depressing, <laughs> restricting. and Everything holy and noble is being needed. It's such a relief. One, one more thing. Sure. Imagine, just a little uh, anecdote. <clears throat> Imagine a mother asks her son to make her tea every day, three times a day. Like Shachris, Mincha, Mar. And he does. Three times a day, every day, he brings his mother tea for 50 years. At the end of 50 years, he discovers that his mother never drinks tea. She doesn't like it. She doesn't drink it. She doesn't care for it. So he says to her, what was this? What was that all about? She says, tea doesn't mean anything. That's trivial. That's petty. I wanted to give you the opportunity to get closer to me. Wow. Hmm. Bad mother. Very bad mother. Imagine if he finds out that his older brother was asked to bring his mother coffee. And his mother lives on coffee. Aha, uh -huh. the plot thickens. 
So the other brother is bringing the mother what she needs and what she lives on. And he's bringing his mother something she doesn't need, doesn't use, and doesn't care for. He hasn't gotten closer to her. She has kept him out of her life. She's distanced him. That's like some guy's annoying you and you want to get rid of him. You say, can you do me a favor? Run around the corner. <laughs> See if it's raining. By asking him to bring tea, she kept him out of her life. That's closeness? So what is closeness? I want to be close to you. What does that mean? It means that I have discovered that there is something close to your heart that I'm not included in. And I'm jealous. I want that closeness. If I am the closest thing to your heart, then, then there's no more close. Then I'm not missing anything. So if I want to get closer to you, I have to know that there is closer. In addition to that, you have to invite me. Otherwise, I'm just a stalker. So if you tell me, you know, I just built a new house. It is unbelievable. It's the dream house. I've always, it is the, the biggest pleasure in my life. I love that house. And I'm waiting. Like, uh, yeah, so, so I'm going to enjoy it very much. I'm not invited. All that and no invitation. Well, then that's it. I'm left out. I can't get closer. When God came down to Mount Sinai, he said, there are things that are so precious to me, and I want you to join me. Shabbat is my holy day. Keep it with me. I love mitzvahs. Love them with me. I hate sin. Hate them with me. So he's revealing his soul his loves, his hates, his agonies, his ecstasies, and he invites us in. That's closeness. So if you want to understand mitzvahs, mitzvahs are coffee, not tea. People get confused because if a son brings his mother tea three times a day for 50 years, are you not impressed? Yes, it's impressive. It's not closeness. It's obedience. They're not the same. You obey those you can't get close to. You obey a king, a principal in school, because you'll never get close. But a mitzvah is supposed to bring you close. The only way that happens is if the mitzvah gives God infinite pleasure. And he wants to share it with you. Do I still need to eat? Who cares? So if I do eat, it's because he created me this way. So I'm doing everything for a heavenly purpose. Because there's no other way. I can't eat for any other reason. There is no other reason. So all of a sudden, life is sacred. Not because I'm noble or high-minded 
or spiritual. No, I just realized eating is not a human activity. It's a divine mishigas. It's an inexplic inexplicable thing that God has that you, you should eat. And you should be intimate. Why? Because I need it. So everything we do ends up being following God's script. God said you're going to sleep part of your day, you're going to eat three times a day, you're going to be intimate with your... It's his script. I'm just trying to follow it carefully. It is so liberating. It's so healthy and so noble. So the two parts of it is, I need nothing. He needs everything. So I am not needy. I am needed. When God came to the Jewish people and said, I have a Torah, I have mitzvahs, are you interested? They said, yeah. What else is there to do? Because they already had no needs. And that's what it means, the first commandment. God says, I am God, your God, and I took you out of Egypt. Know what that means? That the Kabbalah behind that. I took you out of Egypt. Your needs are covered. Now you want to hear mine? And since then, we have no needs. We've outgrown needs. I took you out of Egypt. Done. Now listen to what I need. That's Judaism. And that's the only thing that's going to save the world. We have to spread this message to the world. Stop being needy and demanding things from God and start serving Him. That's why we're here. It's not just a good idea. It's the idea. The idea. <laughs> it's not a purpose. It's the purpose. With the answer you gave the quilting. I mean, when you told me all your answers, very good, right? How did you come up with that? It's absolutely incredible. Um, I have a beauty in my about. I want to go back to Shabbat. I, I am nowhere close to keeping the Shabbat the correct way, but. Uh, since I know I am not capable of that yet, I promised myself that I will take step by step, maybe. So, so far what I do is, um, I don't go on the phone, I don't answer phone calls, which gives me a lot of free time. I'm not on the phone, my ear is resting, it's a big, big difference in my life. I don't like, uh, any fire, I don't cook, I, uh, but the free time, the brain was in places it's not supposed to be. Uh, 
I usually do the day with myself very, very busy. And a busy body, I don't sit idle. So I don't have a lot of time. Why is it that on Shabbat, it becomes so active and not good thoughts, it's all bad? What's going on? Help me with that, please. Not your problem? <laughs> not your problem? <laughs> I have my, my answers, but they're not going to be anything compared to yours. <laughs> probably be more practical. <laughs> I mean, this was part of what we discussed in our, in our promo video, where I believe, you know, we know that, that Shabbat, during Shabbat, we're given an extra soul, an extra holy soul for those 24 hours. What I have seen is that this is not a, this is a very common thing where that extra soul comes in, our human conception of that soul or, or relationship with that soul moves into a place of wanting to create. We are given a little bit extra drive, we're given a, a little bit extra premonition, intuition, uh, you know, motivation, and rather than having the discipline to drive that into a place of holiness, because that's not our practice, we are seeking to drive that into a place of productivity, which is what most people in modern day seek to achieve. We, we, we want to sort of get our dopamine receptors going, you know, um, because we don't have the practice of daily holiness. Whereas I think that if you practice Shabbat correctly, it is not a day, it's not on that day. It is a practice that begins on the first day of the week where you're prepping for Shabbat. You are um, practicing three times a day meditative, holy practices that are in Judaism not sitting in meditation, but actual active praying. All of these things, all of the, the preparations for Shabbat prep you so that once you get to Shabbat, you are enjoying the fruits of Shabbat. But if you are not prepping for Shabbat all week and you are not engaged in any kind of spiritual activity all week, then when you get to Shabbat, there is a conflict. The way that I'll, I explain it is that there's a conflict between that external, you know, excess holy soul, that excess holiness, and that part of you that still seeks to be served through your productivity. That ego satiation that you get every time you produce, every time you get on the phone and you get that, you, you help somebody or you do something that gives you that ego satiation, you're not doing any of that. You're not producing. You're not creating. And so there's a conflict. And that conflict rises on Shabbats. But if you had the daily practice, I, I, and you did Shabbat correctly, that's my cue to turn it over to the rabbi. <laughs> Thank you, my love. The feeling of Shabbat. 
the experience of Shabbat, in one word, is contentment. Mapsut. On Shabbos, you're supposed to feel content. Whatever you did during the week, it was good. If you read in the Torah, in the description of creation, God created light, and he said it was good. On the third day, he created trees, and he said it was good. Each day, he said it was good. Because by the time you get to Shabbos, it's perfect. So you don't do any labor on Shabbat because you don't need it. It's good. Now, <clears throat> contentment is a foreign experience. We never, we never practice contentment. In fact, if you feel content, you feel guilty. You're sitting around doing nothing. That's a terribly masculine impulse. The male impulse is to constantly be creating and changing and fixing. The female is much better at contentment. Somebody once said, you see it in the language. A man and a woman get married. The, girl, the woman calls all her friends. Guess what? I'm married. The man calls all his friends and says, guess what? I got married. Men don't understand women because you're content and they can't figure out why. Women have a capacity to be content, which is why they're good nurturers. Because if you're not content, then, then you're preoccupied, you can't nurture others. To really be present with a baby. No man can do that. Mm. He's holding the baby and it's delicious and it's wonderful. He's thinking, how am I going to pay for the college? <laughs> and the baby feels the stress. <laughs> and starts to cry. Yeah, how are you going to pay for the college? <laughs> so, Shabbos is the practice of contentment. And it'll take some practice. But this is what you're looking for. You're looking for that relief, that deep breath where you can just let go. It's good. You think about your grandparents. Their week was misery. Miserable. How did they survive that life? Shabbat. Because when Shabbat came, they were king and queen. Content, life is wonderful. We have a piece of bread with a piece of herring. We're at top of the world. During the week, they worked hard to you know, change or fix whatever they could. But when it comes to Shabbat, I got no needs. I'm fine. It's wonderful. Life is great. You practice it, you get good at it. And then Shabbos. Well, then you don't need to run around to do something. Right. Right. So, so the advice is 
you learn to do Shabbos stuff. You read, you learn, sleep a little more, but feel the contentment. Otherwise, you're driven. We're, we're, we're trained to be driven. Don't waste time. Be productive. What are you doing? During the week, that's great. On Shabbat, if God can relax on Shabbat, we should be able to do it too because it's not my world. I don't have to worry about everything.